Welcome to the Governance Freffy podcast, brought to you in conjunction with the Skills and Education Group. I'm delighted that you can join myself, Fiona Chalk, as I discuss with Sheila Legrave the role of the FE Commissioner and her team and their insights into effective governance. Sheila is currently the Further Education Commissioner a senior advisor to ministers on further education and has previously led an outstanding FE College group. Under her leadership, the group merged with two local colleges. It opened a third, achieved outstanding judgments for Ofsted twice in 2014 and 2020. Sheila is a qualified accountant, having worked at a university and an investment bank. She chairs the board of a homeless charity, previously served on the board of Chichester Festival Theatre, and chaired a school governing body. So welcome, Sheila. Thank you very much. So Sheila, you've been in your post for just about over a year now. How are you finding it? Is it as expected? (laughs) There is nothing, I think, in politics that can be as expected at the moment. And actually, the last few months have been truly extraordinary. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to um, expect in the DfE. I just wanted to make a difference. And I think it's going to be quite difficult to make a judgment for me as to whether I've achieved that. But what I've certainly worked hard at doing is influencing people. Talking about the brilliance of FE, a sector I absolutely love, feel very passionate about. I've got a wonderful team of practitioners. um, And we've also tried to change the focus from what we, um, my predecessors had to cope with, which is lots of colleges in, in intervention, to supporting all colleges Um, and sharing effective practice. Super. So thank you for that. So some of our uh, audience will be familiar with your role and that of your team, you know, to primarily lead the work to boost college leadership and governance, but many won't. So if you wanted to give us a bit more of an oversight of the purpose of your role and that of your team, it'd be great to hear. Well, I've got, well, I was given four key objectives when I came into the role And it was very much linked to uh, Mary Nay's report on uh, the financial oversight of colleges following the problems in Hadlow and West Kent. And my um, four objectives are, first of all, to support colleges uh, and oversee colleges and intervention um, and try and ensure that they can improve their financial health and, um, in some cases, their quality of education. Secondly, however, and a new part of my role has been to share effective practice with all colleges. And I have been working very hard with the team to change our focus to be a friendly further education commissioner who is there to have a conversation with somebody, to talk about my experiences, to share experiences um, and to develop some effective practice. And uh, that's very much the third, the second part of my role. Thirdly, I have been talking to ministers and um, I need to advise ministers on further education and uh, bring a practitioner view to um, look at some new policies they've been uh, proposing uh, and uh, various other issues that occur in the DfE. And the fourth area, which is a new one and comes out of the white paper, is to support and oversee local improvement um, and ensure that colleges meet the local skills needs of their region. So from that overview then, Sheila, um, how would you prioritise those areas of focus? Is there any areas that you are particularly prioritising or are you working a- a- just across all of them? 
I think my biggest priority has to been to change the perception of the um, Further Education Commissioner and her, her team uh, and ensure that we can support everybody. That's where I've been working the hardest. I have, of course, been trying to support colleges to come out of intervention. I'm delighted to say that we have moved a number into what we call PIMS, post-intervention um, uh, support. And um, that is a time-limited programme, and then they will m move totally out of intervention. We've had a very small number of colleges who've had to move into intervention, um, and that has primarily been around uh, financial issues. But the key focus of the team has been developing that effective practice, um, some specifically around curriculum effectiveness and, and financial sustainability support, some of it um, more widely looking at areas such as apprenticeships, which I think is far too complicated for colleges. And I'd love to influence a change um, in the rules to ensure uh, that colleges can more easily develop and deliver apprenticeship programmes. Um, so obviously a wide ranging remit then, um, and we're here sort of to speak about more of the governance, um, which is um, leadership, you know, boards and management together. So driving and delivering effective governance. So could you maybe give us a little bit more detail around the support, particularly that's focused on strengthening governance in the sector? Well, I have two wonderful teams of people who work in colleges at the moment. I have national leaders of further education who are principals and national leaders of governance who are either uh, governance professionals or chairs of, of corporations. And the national leaders of governance are deployed to any college who say that they need help with governance. Um, they are people who lead Colleges, sometimes colleges who have been in some difficulty, but they have learnt the art of governance as they, as they move along. And it is an art. There's no one size fits all for, for, for the way um, governing bodies operate. But we've been, I've been very thankful at the number of colleges who've come forward. I still think there are a number of colleges who don't recognise that their governance um, is not as effective as it could be. And I hope these reviews, that the three yearly board reviews that are being introduced, will support uh, colleges to know what good governance looks like without knowing, without it being exactly the same um, in one college as, or as another. Well, that's great to hear about that support that's being provided. I mean, there is a bit of a narrative in the sector, I think, that given this sort of ever-increasing responsibility on governance, you know, well, governors are just volunteers, you know, are we expecting too much of them? You know, are we pushing things too far? What would you say in response to that? Uh, there are some colleges who are paying their governors, and that's a wholly different debate. When I came into this role, I was very much of the view that uh, governors were volunteers and we needed to call upon the best governors. As I it continued to expand the college I used to lead, I began to realise how much time we were asking of our chair of governors. Uh, and I'm now perhaps more of a view that sometimes remuneration is required for, for governors. I think we ask a lot of them. Having said that, there are many, many people who have experience of being on effective boards in the commercial sector and to use that expertise widely for colleges. And I think it works very effectively. 
And it's up to the governance professional, the chair and the uh, leadership team, the principal chief executive, to ensure that they're not putting too much pressure on their governing bodies, but at the same time using them effectively to set that vision and um, ensure that they're accountable for what they do. Yeah, I mean, so the, the mythology, if you like, of boards, I think, goes something like this, isn't it? You know, you put a group of high achieving, experienced, strategic minded and diverse individuals in a room together, add commitment and a lot of hard work, and you get a top notch board with a healthy culture that provides effective oversight. That's what we'd all like. The reality, dare I say it, is somewhat a little messier. Um, in practice, no boardroom culture is perfect, is it? You know, every board to some degree is plagued by derailed discussions, um, dismissed opinions, side conversations, etc. And a lot of it actually comes down to relationships, doesn't it? How people work together to get good governance. And I just wondered if you could maybe say a little bit about that relationship between board and management, how working cohesively together is or isn't, in your view, essential to effective governance and what good in that relationship might look like. I think the culture of a board is often comes from the culture in the college. So if you have a very good, positive, open relationship as a leadership team, you're more likely to get a good, positive, open relationship with the board with um, the no surprises mantra uh, writ large. As, as far as um, working together, for me, the relationship between the chair, the governance professional and the principal is absolutely at the heart of that. My experience has always been to use the governance professional also to attend the senior leadership team meetings, because that way they know what the key issues are. They can keep the board informed. They can remind the principal when he or she's forgotten that this is a governance matter and needs to go to, to, the, to the governing body. Now, lots of people do it in different ways, but that communication is really vital. I've always been of a view that having people on the board who are challenging is a good thing. And sometimes that leads to some cultural problems. And I have sat in meetings where some of my team have felt, dare I say, slightly bullied by members of the board. But actually, I think you have got to build your personal relate, uh, res resilience around that and cope with those challenging conversations. And if you don't have them, then you often have a board that's very passive and doesn't ask the right questions in the first place. So it's a tricky issue. The chair for me is key. If you've got a right chair who's very good at bringing people in, who understands the need to um, get to the level of detail, but equally knows that they need to make a decision and to finish a conversation um, at, a, at the right point, you will have an effective board. But and you're absolutely right. It isn't a group of individuals. You've got to have the right skills on the board. That's really crucial. Mm -hmm. How many boards have we seen who didn't have an accountant or the right person, person asking the financial questions or mm -hmm. indeed asking the quality questions? That's another aspect that sometimes mm -hmm. lots. But um, it's also the chair bringing it all together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really agree there. I mean, when we look at sort of in, in the corporate world and the collapses we've seen there, um, you know, let's take Enron for an example. I think they became known as the board that was 
the most incompetent group of highly competent people. Um, so having the right people and a diverse mix of people around the board is a good start, but it has to go beyond that, doesn't it? It has to be, you know, a champion team, not just a team of champions, if you like. And you've got to know the right questions to ask. So you might be a highly experienced FT100 board member, but that goes for nothing if you know very little about further education and don't understand what the college is trying to achieve, but also the restrictions that grant funding from government brings. Yeah, educating the board on the context that the college is operating yeah. in um, is really important. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And you spoke or made reference earlier to to board reviews. Um, we now know that these have to be carried out every three years. Um, it's occurred to me that your team will be looking at them, um, perhaps from a governance part on intervention and support. Ofsted will be. Um, the external reviewers will be doing that too, perhaps all looking at slightly different things. I just wondered to what extent members of your team will be taking sort of the findings of these reviews into consideration as part of their work. For, for my team, I think it will be information, useful information, and will allow us to ask questions of the college. Even in an intervention situation, we are there to support. We're actually not the regulator. So it's going to be important that we use the, the board review uh, action plan to ask questions to uh, lead the, the governors and, and uh, governance professional and principals to work together. So I think it's going to be a useful bit of information, but no more than that. I mean, when, when I speak to boards, again, perhaps as part of an external review of governance, maybe the question about how well are they aligned on strategy, they usually tell me they're well aligned and I probably wouldn't expect any other answer. But if I then speak to individual governors and say, you know, tell me the story of your institution's strategy, how would you prioritise that? If I'm speaking to a dozen board members, I'll probably get a dozen different stories and I wouldn't expect them all to tell the same story, but quite often you find significant gaps in consensus, which given the board's role in oversight of achieving strategic objectives, everybody sat around the room has got a different picture in their mind of where they're getting to. You can see that's that's problematic. So setting strategy can be cru uh, crucial, but quite a tricky one I find with boards sometimes about actually who owns strategy. Is it the board? Is it management? You know, it has to be a joint effort, doesn't it? Equal input and stewardship. But I just wondered what your team had found around this area. Um, is this area a good practice around setting a strategy that you could share? For me, there are three key components of a strategy. First of all, it needs to be detailed enough um, but also strategic enough to capture the way the college is moving forward. And I've seen strategies that have so much detail that you would never read them far too long, and strategies that are so lacking in detail that you've no idea how they're going to judge whether they've achieved them or not. So the first thing is having a strategy that everybody can buy into that describes where you're trying to go in a succinct way. The second key element is being able to measure it. So we've been into colleges who've got a perfectly good strategy, but have got no measurable KPIs, or, or they've got measurable KPIs and they're not reporting them uh, to the board uh, effectively. And um, uh, that is, is equally um, uh, a key problem with it. 
And I think the third part of the strategy is ensuring that it is regularly refreshed. And that doesn't mean a a rewrite every year. In fact, you'd be really foolish to do that. Um, But it is reminding governors what the key areas of focus are going to be, discussing whether they are the right ones, agreeing it all, and then you get much more consensus from your board as to where the the organisation is trying to, to move to. But no one size fits all on this. OK, yeah, that's really helpful. And you, you spoke earlier around uh, another objective or part of your role is around this meeting skills needs. Obviously, this is a new responsibility for boards uh, and for governors. Um, is there going to be some best practice or good practice that you'll be sharing from your team around that? Or how are you going to support boards with that? We've already done some pilot work with colleges, first of all on the college plan that they will have to produce every year, and secondly on the single improvement plan, which will follow if a college is deemed not to be meeting local skills needs. And we will use that to talk about good practice in in that area, and I think that will help colleges. I actually don't think it's that complicated Most colleges are meeting local skills needs. Most colleges work with their LEP, their local authority. They've now put in in a a local skills improvement plan. It would be pretty unusual for the college not to be doing um, what is needed in the area. I can think, however, of a couple of colleges I know of who perhaps are not offering as broad a curriculum as either a local or authority or indeed um, the local population would would wish to find and it's those colleges that really need to ask that question is their curriculum fit for purpose does it cover the areas that local employers need and is it meeting the needs of, of its local residents Okay, that's great. Um, As always, Sheila, time flies on these podcasts. Um, Is there a key message that you'd like to leave our listeners with today regarding the work of your team um, as it applies to governance of FE institutions? We talk a lot, or I talk a lot about communication. I think it is communicating out to all the colleges what we're trying to achieve. We're going to run some roadshows at the end of October uh, to talk about that. It is also ensuring that colleges take part in sharing that effective practice. Every college, whether they're good, outstanding, requires improvement or inadequate from Ofsted or indeed financial health-wise, is doing something fantastically well. And if colleges, my, my key message to everybody is think of what you're doing really well and be prepared to share it with your local college or college somewhere else. Because that is the only way we will, we will be stronger. And that includes governments. Um, I'm a ve- a very much in favour of local peer governance reviews. Go and talk to another college. Take your governors with you. Spend a bit of time with them. Learn how they actually deliver their governance. You always learn something. So for me, it is that effective sharing. I've always been keen on collaboration. That's part of the mantra of what I'm leading as the Well, thank you for spending some time and sharing some of that with us today. I really appreciate it. So thank you for taking your time to share with us your insights on effective governance and the work of you and your team. It's a pleasure, Fiona. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Governance Refi podcast. Visit our website, governancereffy.co.uk, where you can find all the podcast episodes and a whole lot more information on governance in the FE and skills sector. 
This podcast was sponsored by the Skills and Education Group. Information on their qualifications, funding opportunities, professional development programs and initiatives in support of teaching, learning and assessment can be found on their website at skillsandeducationgroup.co.uk.